you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. (laughs) Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Happy to be joined this week by Hale Varsity's fearless editor, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, getting... <laughs> trying to navigate the holiday week plus a short week for Nebraska football, but that's the case for, for everybody in Nebraska circles. So we're all just doing the best we can. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. It's early. I don't know when folks are going to be listening to this, but Brandon and I are recording this on Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? I think it's Wednesday. This week is a mess. Yeah. Wednesday. Um, yeah. It's that last week of the college football regular season and it just turns into mush. Everybody's on the holiday weekend. So there's not a ton going on and it feels like you shouldn't be working, but you obviously have to be working. That is especially true uh, for you guys at Hale varsity and, and uh, for everybody in Nebraska, because once again, we have a, a black Friday week that is, is basically like the, it, it's the appetizer to a very busy week. Uh, once Nebraska's regular season ends, Things are going to get very busy, uh, particularly around Husker athletics. So with that being said, make sure that you guys listening to this have a current, updated, refreshed, ready-to-go Hale Varsity subscription. Go to hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the promo code VARSITY. Also, make sure you listen to all the podcasts on the Hale Varsity Network. Brandon has his own, the I-80 preview show. Make sure that you're listening to that every week. It's phenomenal. Brandon, we're going to talk a little bit about – Iowa, Nebraska, which is perhaps going to be, you know, like the um, the SpongeBob meme where his eyes are bloodshot red and they're just like being held open. Like you're going to watch the game because you have to watch the game, but you don't really want to. And it's not going to be very entertaining and it's not going to be very appealing or, or, or at least um, attractive if you're into offensive football. I, t- I told my – I told my grandparents they're in town. I told my grandparents, I was like, I am more confident in Iowa's offense being putrid than I am in Nebraska finding a way to lose this game, which is a weird place to be. So we can get into that a little bit later. Um, but first, because it's Thanksgiving, I have to ask you, I feel like I've teased you a couple times and you want to say stuff and I'm making you wait. Um, I have to ask you because it's Thanksgiving, real quick, rank the five best Thanksgiving foods in your opinion. 
Okay. I, I was wondering if we were going to go snake draft with this or if I'm just going to have to go off the top. I did intend to prepare my answers, but didn't get Let's go snake. Let's go snake draft then. Let's go snake draft. You go snake draft? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Top draft pick for me, which is not my favorite Thanksgiving food, but it is my number one pick, is stuffing slash dressing, depending on where you live. Um I like it because it is very regional in terms of what goes in there, like cornbread, croutons, regular bread, Louisiana, places like that. You'll get rice, um, oysters sometimes involved. Stuffing is not something I'm ever making any other time of the year. It is even more than turkey uh, signals Thanksgiving to me. So I'm going with stuffing because it encompasses all of America in my mind. That's my number one pick. No hesitation. See, stuffing is number two with me. And I have mac and cheese number one. Okay. Because you can get just a plain box of like craft mac and cheese. That's pretty good. As somebody who went through his entire college career doing craft mac and cheese spirals and hot dogs for like five meals a week, um, that's my comfort food. And, and that is like the, the lowest level of mac and cheese that you can possibly have. And it's still pretty good. When, when Thanksgiving rolls around and somebody is, is assigned mac and cheese as the dish that they're supposed to bring, they go all out. And it's excellent. Mac and cheese is number one for me because of the, the, the customizability of it. You can have meatballs in it, which I've had, which is pretty good. You can have chicken in it, which is pretty good. You get the little like crusty breadcrumbs atop mac and cheese. Um, and then you, you broil it in the oven for a little bit. Delicious, wonderful. You can have some bad mac and cheese is cheeses. You can also have some excellent mac and cheese dishes, and that's that's my number one. Because when it's good, it, it's it's Joe Burrow LSU 2019. There's none better. It's the best. Yeah, and I would say even like quote unquote bad mac and cheese is like Joe Burrow backup duty at Ohio State. Still pretty good. Like even craft mac and cheese out of the box. Like I'll eat it. I'll pretty still good. eat it today. And Thanksgiving gives you a reason. Be like, no, we're going. We're going fancy with the mac and cheese. I know. Um, <clears throat> in past years, we have had debates about Thanksgiving turkey versus ham. I will say, like maybe my favorite version of mac and cheese is if you get some country ham, which is like super super salty. It's not for everybody, but throw a couple of country ham cubes in, in your mac and cheese. Uh, pretty, pretty delightful, but snake draft yeah. style, you're, you're up for the next pick too. So. Yeah. My number two is stuffing um, for, for all the reasons that, that you said. So we can move on to your number two, just for brevity's sake. Number two, I'll go pie. Just generally. Um, I think my, my favorite Thanksgiving pie is pecan pie. Um, Though I would say more often than not, it ends up being pumpkin. But got to have a pie for for Thanksgiving, and uh, a lot of options to choose from. Um, but you can't go wrong with like even a store pop a pumpkin pie. Put some whipped cream on it. N- nobody's going to be unhappy with that. Yeah, I would agree. What about three? <sighs> is gravy its own food? Gravy is my number three too. Okay. Yes. Well, well, there we go. We're, we're zipping through this draft. The NFL wishes it could. Um, yeah. I mean, gravy is like the essential element to this whole thing. Um, so 
gravy for me as its own food stuff. Number three, also your number three. We're already into the fourth round. So I saw real quick before we move on, I saw um, a little bit of commentary this week. I think again, it was my brother who sent me something um, where it was a guy basically questioning if Thanksgiving food is actually good because the only time we have like 90% of the food that is prepared on Thanksgiving is Thanksgiving. And like you, you said earlier, like we're not eating stuffing, you know, on a random Tuesday in March, right? Like it's only, it's only a Thanksgiving food. And I thought about that and my response to it was maybe not, but gravy on the whole plate makes it good. You got the right gravy. You just drench everything on your plate with gravy. and It's excellent. It's good. And I don't care that we don't have it at any other time of the year. So we'll eat gravy uh, with, with a lot of dishes. So yeah, gravy's number three. My number four, my number four and my number five picks are specific picks. They're okay. like they're they're general foods, but very specific things for me. Number four is dinner rolls, specifically Hawaiian rolls. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah, I look forward to those, and I will 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 hoard them on my plate. Rolls, rolls are essential. I think they're gonna just miss my, yeah, they're just they're gonna just miss my top five. But it's not Thanksgiving if you don't have rolls in in my mind. And the great thing about that is it's it's another high low thing too, where you can just get some King's Hawaiian rolls. Excellent, a little bit of sweetness, perfect, uh, perfect counterpart to a what ends up being a pretty salt filled dish. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Do I go five now? Is it my five now? Or do you, you have to go four? No, you go four. Oh, no, I go four. Um, <clears throat> four, I'm going to go I'm gonna go turkey. Um, I talked about this on an IAD preview podcast like two years ago, I think specifically because Greg Smith is a turkey hater. He's a ham guy, which is fine. Like, I understand it. I, I broke this all down. Like, if you're really that interested in it, you can go back and find it in the archives of that, of that podcast. And I agree. Ham is better than turkey. But it's Thanksgiving. Like, I'm not eating turkey any other time. I am not a turkey sandwich guy. Like, I'll have turkey leftovers on a sandwich. But, like, I'm not buying sliced turkey breast from the store. So this is, like, my one time to eat turkey. And if you know how to prepare it, like, it's fine. It it doesn't taste boring or bland or terrible. It's not dry. Like, just take a little care and make your turkey the right way. and, Mm -hmm. And it's good. And you also cover it in, you know... We make this draft pick because we've already selected gravy and we feel great about what gravy is going to bring to the team. Yeah. 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 Turkey is like the, uh, Turkey's not on my list by the way. Um, but I, I will say real quick, if you're talking about crafting a lunch sandwich, chicken breast, Turkey, roast beef, ham. Um, Covers a lot of bases. I, I don't like ham. I don't like ham. So when I was growing up, we made turkey for Christmas dinners, turkey or meatloaf for Christmas dinners. We did not make ham because I throw a fit about it every time. Um, I don't have turkey on my list kind of for the same reason that I have mac and cheese or, or I guess for the, like the inverse of why I have mac and cheese. Number one, like you can have real bad turkeys, like the variance with a turkey on Thanksgiving is like really, really high. Like it's wide. Um, there could be some good ones and you can really mess up a turkey real, real quick. So I don't have that on my list. Um, you go five now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Turkey can get away from you. You've only got one shot. There's only one Thanksgiving day. So 
If it does, what are you going to do? It's high risk, high reward, which may be why I've made it into, made it into my top five. Number five, um, I'm going to go with green bean casserole, which might be a controversial pick based on what I see on the internet. But uh, Christina, my wife, is is really into it. It's like one of her key dishes. She makes a sort of similar to mac and cheese. She makes an elevated uh, version of it. But like growing up, going to my grandma's house where, you know, my mom was one of nine kids. It was like it was like Thanksgiving for 40 people every year. Um, it used to be just straight green beans out of the can and Velveeta cheese. Called them cheesy green beans. We didn't call them green bean casserole at that point. Loved it. I would eat some cheesy green beans right now. So getting a better version of that always works for me. So the last pick, maybe we're, maybe we're reaching a little bit, but I'm going green bean casserole. See, I kind of just think I understand everything that you said, but I kind of think let's just leave the green beans as is. I like green beans and I don't want them. I don't want them in a casserole. My number five pick is another specific one. You can, you can have pie pie in general is number five is fine my specific pie though for thanksgiving is a french silk pie from village inn and this is just nostalgia for me because that was basically like every thanksgiving and christmas dessert that we had when i was growing up um you know either when it was living in nebraska or when my grandparents would come visit they would bring it or when we'd go visit them we'd have french silk pie um so that's like just a staple of every holiday, like late season ho- or late year holiday uh, in my household. So French silk pie is my number five because it is excellent, especially from Village Inn. And, 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 and I, think, I think we're hitting on the, the potential beauty of Thanksgiving, which I'm starting to think, like I'm a Christmas guy. I like the Christmas season a lot, but I'm starting, thinking, starting to think Thanksgiving might be our best holiday because you have, you know, such a high low mix of like yeah you know we're gonna make the we're gonna make the mac and cheese like extra good this time we'll get a pie from somewhere somebody who specializes in pies and that's great too and you know what we might we might get king's hawaiian rolls for three dollars from the grocery store and that's great as well um and it's just a practicality thing you know however many people you're gathering with on thanksgiving it's more than you normally feed yeah. Uh, at any dinner in your house. So you got to make, you got to make some choices and, and it all works. It's all great. There's so much football, and, you know, as we talked about with Nebraska, we've got Iowa on, on the Friday after, but also it's just like, we've got basketball <laughs> all three days over that weekend, both men's and women's we've got huge volleyball matches. And Oh, by the way, Nebraska is probably going to announce a, a new coach at some point soon thereafter so it'll be busy um but it's all it's all great okay so let's let's transition to nebraska and i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you steer the ship a little bit this is the choose your own adventure book um i prepared you i said in the in the show notes for this episode we were going to talk about nebraska iowa we're also going i want to get your thoughts on how the big 10 should structure the conference from a you know pods divisions should they go like um just take the top two teams in terms of record and conference play in 2024, whenever the new teams get added. Um, and then also, I think we, we can touch a little bit on the coaching search. Um, Cause I want to get your thoughts on a couple of guys. Where do you want to go first? Do you want to go future 
alignment of the conference? Do you want to go Nebraska, Iowa right now? Just get it out of the way early. Or do you want to go coaching search right now? Let's talk. Let's talk Nebraska, Iowa. Okay. Um, and I guess, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll go in order of what's happening next. And that's Nebraska, Iowa. Okay. I think we – so we all got our laughs in at Kirk Ferentz and this Iowa offense, legitimately so. Um, it's not good. And Kirk traded barbs with reporters asking about his son, the offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, what's happening here, uh, What? how much worse does it need to get, essentially, for you to consider making a change. And here Iowa is uh, – if they win, they're in the Big Ten championship game. Even if they lose, they could still be in with a Purdue loss. Uh, so, for one, I, I have to imagine Kirk Ferentz is having the, the Thanksgiving week of his life with that being the case. The other interesting thing about this is when you dig into the numbers, like, we knew that Iowa's offense was bad. Their own line, by almost any measure, is worse than Nebraska's. And we've both watched Nebraska's O-line all year. Not good. Not used to seeing an Iowa offensive line that, just for to start, has a worse sack rate than Nebraska does. Yeah, I think it just – you know, there might not be a bigger Ed McCaffrey fan in the country than, uh, than Kirk Ferentz, kind of taking – taking a little bit of the heat off him from a nepotism standpoint. Um, you know, I was figured some – use that term loosely – figured some stuff out lately offensively. It doesn't look as putrid as it did to begin the season. Um, but, yeah, it's just been remarkable to watch sort of the – I think the degeneration of, of what made their offense, I guess, passable, acceptable. Um, which is just their ability to win up front. And and that is going to make, you know, I mean, that make that makes this game like, is a, is a defensive score from Iowa a, a, a decisive score in this one? Like their their defense, you know, for all of the, the, the problems that the offense has, for all the jokes that we make about Iowa's offense, deservedly so, like you said, um, this is a good defense. This is a really good defense, and it continues to be a really good defense. And they've sort of just hung their hat on that over recent years. Um, you know, they've made teams look worse when they've played them this year, and that is uh, while fielding an offense that just doesn't provide any help whatsoever. Um, it kind of feels like this is a game where if Iowa gets a defensive score, because like, what is the line at right now? I mean, it opened it opened at like nine, and I think jumped to double digits shortly thereafter, at least 10. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't have it in front of me right now, but that, that felt like a ton of points, too many points um, because this, this series has just been close. And you, you look at sort of the offensive issues that, that both teams have um, specifically on the offensive line. Um, but it, it, this, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, this is one of those games where like, if Iowa gets a, a defensive score, I mean, there's your 10 points right there. If it's a three-point game, you could, you know, there's your there's your 10-point margin right there. And I, I guess would you would you say that there's more confidence in Iowa's defense being able to score off of this Nebraska offense than Iowa's offense being able to to score with any kind of frequency or consistency? 
Yeah, I think I, I, I would have more confidence in the defense. Um, and that's what they've shown us to this point. Um, you know, Iowa remains, and it's been this way for a while, remains a, like they can't keep getting away with this example. But like they're averaging 17 points per game. They're going to win the division. And everybody left them for dead in like the first week of October. Um, <clears throat> but their their three Big Ten losses are to Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State. Nobody else has beat Michigan or Ohio State. Illinois, you know, a little bit of the shine has come off of that. And then Iowa is the the one team, it seems, to lose a one-score game to Iowa State this year. Um, that one stands out a little bit. But it was, it was week two. So it's i mean i guess to flip it around and and i i agree with you iowa's defense is is much better than nebraska's it's shown the ability to like create its own offense create its own points more specifically but if nebraska gets a defensive score or special teams score obviously not including field goals is that enough for nebraska to win this game Yes. Yeah. I mean, it should be. I but think you just I, kind of, I, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I, I think it is too. I mean, I think we're in line for something very similar to Wisconsin last week, 14 13. Um, and Nebraska came up like three or four plays short, depending on which three or four plays you want to look at. Like one, maybe two more first downs on the last offensive drive probably not not the very last the penultimate last the offensive drive when they could have salted the game away get it done and i think this one has the potential to come to come to a similar point last last i looked at the line which was midweek it was up to iowa i think minus 10 and a half and feels high for this game to me sp the sp plus rankings for this would make it iowa minus 20 which is just it's it's I don't doubt that that is maybe the actual difference between these two teams, but like I was just going to struggle to beat any team, any team by 20. And S and P plus has, has loved Iowa all year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I I, I think they were up to 19th this week, like finally jumped over for a long time. Minnesota, I think was the top team in the West in, in the West top team in the West in those rankings and, you know, that's another weird one of Iowa doing Iowa things. Minnesota rushes for 312 yards against the Hawkeyes last week and loses. That doesn't happen very often to anyone. Complete aside, but this season is testing my love of those predictive models uh, because S&P Plus is very, very high on four-loss Texas. And uh, FPI has Utah – as the best team in the Pac-12 still after losing to Oregon, um, which they are like, I think, six spots ahead of Oregon and FPI. So I'm just we're – having, we're having fun with, with some of those this year. Yeah, I, I still find a, a good deal of value in them. The key weakness with them is like they struggle to deal with injuries – and, and things of that nature, roster changes, essentially. Um, 
And, you know, Utah lost one of its best players. I mean, it's, was it up to a month ago in terms of the tight end that they lost? And like those, those rankings just have no, no real idea of that. When Nebraska was playing without Casey Thompson, it like changed the offense in a big way. But mm-hmm. you just look at the rankings and it's like, well, here's how good we think Nebraska is based on all the games it's played and all of the other things that go into the stew. Um, and you have no knowledge that, well, without Casey Thompson, this offense changes drastically. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of smoke that a coach that, that um, some kind of conclusion on the coaching front is coming in the next week to two weeks in the near future. There's a lot of smoke that, you know, it's going to be this guy or that guy. I think most people can, can assume that it's not going to be Mickey Joseph. Um, Nebraska had another second half collapse to lose to Wisconsin. I guess when you look at this game against Iowa, do you see – like, have you have you seen in recent weeks – have you gotten the sense in recent weeks that maybe we're just sort of spinning the tires at the end of this season? Do you do you think that there's – I guess what percentage chance would you put it at that Nebraska comes into this game and there's just not a ton to play for? They're playing out the year. They're playing out a, a, a disappointing year, a year that's been really hard on a lot of folks. And – Iowa has a chance to go to a Big Ten title game, and they're just going to want it more. Like, what percentage chance would you put it at that that this is just sort of lopsided because there's there's a discrepancy in how much both sides want to be on the field? I would say there's a sixty percent chance that after the game on Friday, we look at that and be like, "Yeah, it was just kind of clear Nebraska didn't want to be there," <clears throat> and I would classify that as a low percentage in my mind. And I think that's a credit to, to Mickey Joseph. Like we haven't been able to show uh, what Mickey Joseph, the gains that he's made with Nebraska in the win loss column. But you look at this November for them and we always knew it was going to be tough uh, just with the teams they played and the style those teams played. Nebraska has gotten guttier. I think under, under Joseph, that's my read anyway, like be it up 10 0 on Minnesota, like flip, flipping the tables on them with how they normally want to play. Didn't result in a win. I think there's still a lot of leftover stuff of this team, this program, like not knowing how to win to use the cliche or just struggling to deal with, you know, adverse moments that, that, that don't go their way, but they've been closer. Um, so they kind of got Minnesota out of their comfort zone. Michigan was just, Michigan's one of the best three or four teams in the country that looked the way it looked. Um, Wisconsin, you know, really kind of took the fight to them. And I think, I think did everything they needed to do to keep themselves in the game. So, um, I, I do think there's a real danger of just being like, you know, Iowa has everything to play for, like we're playing for pride, but, I feel better about Nebraska playing for pride alone after having this time with Mickey Joseph than I would have otherwise. Yeah, I think that's probably I think I think I'm 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 there with you just because of the the temperament of 
Mickey. Um, I think that'll, I think that'll win out. Um, what do you, what do you make of this coaching search in the last, in the last couple of weeks, there's been, you know, there were, there were people on Twitter saying it's going to be Mickey Joseph. And there were people on Twitter saying it's going to be Matt rule. And then, you know, we got a report from two, four, seven, uh, that Bronco Mendenhall has entered the, the game in its late stages. Um, as a condition of your appearance on this podcast, uh, I'm not, I, I'm barred from talking about NC state's Dave Doran. So we're not going to talk about him. Uh, there was a, there was a brief moment where I think Dennis Dodd wrote that Kalen DeBoer might be a, a name uh, to watch for Nebraska. And then like within two hours of that story getting published, Washington announced a contract extension for DeBoer. Um, there's obviously the, the two Kansas guys, Lance Leipold just got a contract extension. So you look at maybe Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. I guess what do you what do you make of this coaching search and just how close we are to the end of the season and how close it it seems we are to some finality on this front and yet there are still so many names just being tossed around. Yeah, there still are. Um, Nebraska has done a good job of keeping things pretty close to the vest. That said, contextually, um. I think we can look at the events earlier in this week and, and who knows exactly what role Nebraska played in this, but this is what we know. Mark Stoops got an extension just last year that took him over $6 million. Now he's up to like eight and a half, uh, despite the fact that Kentucky's having an okay year. Um, somebody was interested in Mark Stoops, uh, that presumably, I think Nebraska had some interest. Uh, who knows if Auburn was also in that in that camp? Uh, but he got an extension. Kalen DeBoer, coach you just mentioned, coach I really like and have liked for a long time. His season at Washington probably merited an extension on its own, but the timing of it's interesting. And then Leipold, of course, another guy who the season he's having with Kansas merits an extension. Uh, I was honestly a little bit surprised that they hadn't already extended him um, prior to, to this week. He got it this week. Like, you know, you could look at all of those facts and say, Nebraska probably had a decision day for a handful of guys this week. And those decisions appeared to, to go sticking with your your current school so that's interesting um and it you know i think the the things that we're hearing now it looks like i would expect that rule to basically sit this cycle out which he has the financial freedom to do based on his current contract situation um so that you know those are a handful of top names that we've been talking about for for nebraska over the last couple of weeks and now you're into um sort of bronco mendenhall who i think who i think is an intriguing coach i don't know that he would trev said he didn't care about winning the press conference bronco mendenhall i don't think wins you the press conference emphatically i don't think dave doran does that either but his name has been coming up more and more frequently in recent days you know basically the last week, I would say, in, in connection with the Nebraska job. And Luke Fickle is another one. He, he's a coach who I was a little bit surprised his name hadn't come up more often in any coaching searches uh, that I'd been reading about, listening listening to podcasts on, et cetera. Like I was a little bit – I thought Luke Fickle wasn't being mentioned often enough, but of late he, he started to be mentioned uh, as a potential option for, for Nebraska. So – 
who knows like we'll learn more of this once the hire is made um and people can talk a little bit more freely but it definitely my read on it right now uh a day before thanksgiving is it seems like nebraska made some offers to guys you'd expect them to make offers to and nebraska did not get a yes yeah i mean with you know and feel free to disagree with me but with all due respect to bronco mendenhall if if that name is coming up, you know, week before the end of the season, that signals to me that you have missed on your top two or three guys, right? or the guys atop your list. You have missed on them um, because I don't, you know, like Bronco Mendenhall is not a guy that leads off the list for Nebraska in September. Um, Matt Rule. I, you know, how much does Lane Kiffin's flirtation with Auburn, I, whatever you want to call it with Auburn, I mean, he, he roasted a reporter on Twitter over the Auburn situation, but then didn't actually like directly deny that that was happening. It was, it was weird. Um, I, you know, I, if Auburn wants to throw a bunch of money at Lane Kiffin, I mean, maybe get another pay raise out of it. He keeps jumping jobs. That was something that Aaron Sorensen said on this podcast, like, month or so ago like he's a guy that's just been somebody that has jumped from job to job maybe you know matt rule is saying hey let's uh let's see if Ole miss opens up and then he can sort of stay you know it's a little bit closer to where he was than coming up to lincoln nebraska um lance leipold is off the table like i just kind of you know again like i don't want to like be sitting here and like bashing bronco mendenhall because he's clearly somebody that inside the coaching fraternity everybody has tremendous respect for like everybody talks highly of bronco mendenhall and i think you could put dave dorn in that same category like it seems like some of the guys that we've gotten from trev are guys that are just um really well respected throughout the coaching community and it doesn't surprise me that that would be something that he values um but mendenhall was 33 and 36 at virginia like why am i just getting it very, very aggressive Mike Riley 2.0 vibes from that from that name. Well, I think with either of those guys you mentioned, um, if either were to be the pick, I think that would be <laughs> a little bit of the takeaway um, if, if they were announced. And, and I think both, I think both are really good coaches. Um, you know, the the thing that I look at with with any kind of candidate whether it's somebody you know tenuously linked to the nebraska job or just like looking at it on my own because i'm interested in this is like do you win more than you should so you could go 33 and 36 at virginia and still win more games than you should you still overachieved and i think you know it's it's been a while since i've really looked at mendenhall's numbers but I think that's the case for him. And it's slightly the case for Doran at NC State as well. But your overall point, I think, is the salient one here. Like, if Nebraska's at that point, even if Trev says, I don't care about winning the press conference, I want a guy who's going to, like, do the things that lead to winning, which which I think is real. Um, <clears throat> you're You're going to have the, oh, this feels like Mike Riley again. Uh, if, if those are the announcements. And that just might be 
where where Nebraska is at in this search if it did in fact you know miss on a couple of its top candidates and that that might just be reality if that's the case though like all of a sudden Mickey Joseph even though he looks like he's going to end this season on a on a six game losing streak suddenly becomes a little bit more viable in my mind yeah who was the kid um this week that said he wanted to play for oh I saw I saw um Mike Williams tweet out that he wants to be a grad assistant for Mickey Joseph um there's something to be said about players just having a a a real attachment um and a strong relationship with with Mickey Joseph and on the Mike Riley front like look like Mike Riley didn't like it didn't work with Mike Riley at Nebraska because he was so so at Oregon State like it didn't work at Nebraska because it didn't work like not because of what he did at Oregon State and like with Bronco Mendenhall, like if it didn't, if it, if it gets to that point and it doesn't work at Nebraska, it's probably because it didn't work at Nebraska more than he was 33 and 36 at Virginia in the same way that Scott Frost, you know, it, like, you know, this is why we call this silly season. Like you, we talk about all this stuff and it's really, really hard to project four years from now, like Scott Frost won the press conference hiring Scott Frost in 2017, won the press conference. It got you the a grades in the coaching carousel stories. It got you headlines or, or banners on the bottom of ESPN sports center. Um, it let off sports center like that won the press conference. And to be fair, if you're hiring a guy like Lance Leipold or Matt rule, like that's winning the press conference too, probably. Yeah. Um, and it didn't work. And nobody would have, you know, nobody would have guessed coming off of a 13-0 UCF season that Scott Frost returning to Nebraska wouldn't work. This stuff is just weird. And so, you know, but, you know, that's why, you know, that's why, like, it's just such a, it, it's such a task for, for a guy like Trev to kind of go through this because you have, no idea and and in some ways that sort of like i don't know it takes you off the hook a little bit but also it doesn't because this is just such an important hire for the program and the other piece of this too is like i am concerned about the potential for an older guy a guy that's been around the profession a really long time or a guy who has taken a a sort of gap year because he made a point of saying he didn't retire um talking about mendenhall to, to come in and be the next coach for this program, because you are hiring a guy for the next 10 years. You are hiring a guy to stabilize you seven, 10, 15 years. Um, college football has changed so much in the last two or three seasons. Um, and I, like you look around the sport right now and yes, there are still exceptions. You talk about, you know, Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh is having an excellent year at Michigan, but you look around college football and a lot of the guys that are having, roaring success right now are guys who have the energy to do recruiting nil transfer portal to put up with all the nonsense that has sort of exploded in college football in the last few years and if you're a guy who you know you needed a a year to recharge your batteries like i'm worried about your ability to to sort of put up with that quote-unquote nonsense is that fair yeah i think that I, i think that's fair um 
you know, Mendenhall, for me, just listening to him talk about it, has done a good job of kind of explaining why he he did that, made that choice with his his family. That said, it's like totally outside the norm of, you know, coaching trajectories and coaching careers uh, at large. So it definitely makes you stop and ask, like, oh, what's what's happening here? Um, you know, here's a question for you. Is it overlaps with a couple of, of circles you currently occupy? What percent chance did you think, so last December, Lincoln Riley will work at USC? So USC announces it's Lincoln Riley, all the shock of he's leaving Oklahoma. We get past that. Like, what percent chance would you put on that? Like, oh, that's that's going to work. 95 I might not be far off that, but the longer I do this and the more I kind of research it, which I'm sort of infatuated with doing because it is like, there's just so many variables and so many unknowns. Riley might be an exception, which is why I asked about him. Like the more I, the more I look at this, I, I think like, if every coaching hire starts out at a 50, 50 chance of working, like you hire a random person off the street. Like I'm almost thinking like the maximum confidence interval is 60% and the minimum might be 40%. It's just so, so random. I mean, Josh Heupel at Tennessee was viewed as basically like, okay, I guess like a coin flip. And, and, you know, he's only had two seasons. Um, and this season has gone remarkably, remarkably well. But that's one that nobody, I mean, I think if you look back at the coaching grades, he was like a solid C. The more I look at this, like we treat this as you're going out there trying to make the the Lincoln Riley hire. And there's like one of those every four or five years. Well, here's another good example. The other big coup from what percentage chance did you get Brian Kelly of working out at LSU? I was, I was thinking... I was thinking Mario Cristobal. Everybody thought he was going to be excellent, and he has has not been. Uh, Brian Kelly at LSU. That one was so strange because the fit was weird, but he's one of the winningest active coaches in college football. So you're like, you got to be doing something right. I, you know, like I, I like 80, 85, yeah. okay. seven, that, in that, that 70 that. to 80 range. Yeah, that's probably higher than I would have been with Kelly, but it goes to illustrate the point of, like, uh, who who knows, man? I mean, like, if, if Nebraska announces Dave Dorn in in a couple of, you know, whenever they they announce their, their next head coach, like, I'll get it and I'll see it and I'll understand, like, the good points of, of his resume, I won't come away feeling inspired. Um, and that might just be how it's going to be, you know, now. And we obviously not, you know, got to avoid recency bias too. We obviously have the Scott Frost hire, it, you know, just back over our shoulder, not fully even in the rear view mirror yet of like, that was a hire where almost everybody was like 99% confident. That's, that's, that's going to work. And boy, it not, not only did it not work, it did not work emphatically. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, to your point, like I'm sitting here like, yeah, the, he was third, maybe the third winningest active head coach, Brian Kelly in college football, second or third. And I'm like, yeah, 70 to 80% chance he works at LSU with all of the 
you know, the, the institutional advantages and the resources at LSU. And it's like, there's a 30% chance it doesn't work with one of the, the guys that has won more football games than most anybody else. I guess, you know, that, again, that illustrates, that goes to, to highlight your point of uh, when you're not hiring one of those $10 million a year guys, you know, I guess, it, you know, it, it becomes like, there's going to be a difference because there's going to be a difference in how it plays out, but it, it's, damn near impossible to try to project that right now yeah. when you're talking about the types of names that Nebraska is, is talking about. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> if, if there's any, you know, basis behind kind of the, the Luke fickle scuttlebutt of late, like it, it might take $10 million to get him to Lincoln. It, it really might. I mean, it, which is kind of insane to think, but it might just be the market right now uh, when, you know, I'm like, I have a lot of respect for Mel Tucker. I think he's a great coach this season. Not surprising to me, um, but didn't go the way Michigan state fans wanted, but you got a guy like that. Who's, you know, in what his fourth or fifth year as a head coach um, making $9 million a year. I mean, Mark Stoops is up to eight and a half now. Like, <laughs> it's really hard for somebody who's not in the big 10 or the sec to go get Mark Stoops now, because who's going to pay him $10 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you about what I want to pivot here and ask you about the big 10 sort of structure going forward, because, you know, like you, you've said, we've touched on it. Iowa can go to the big 10 championship game. If it beats Nebraska on Friday, um, if Iowa plays Michigan, or if Iowa plays Ohio State, either way, Iowa's probably getting the doors blown off in the Big Ten championship game. Um, and it becomes a situation where, you know, the college football playoff committee looks at the Big Ten and says, you know, we're obviously going to take the Big Ten champion, be it Ohio State or Michigan. Would we take whoever loses the Ohio State-Michigan game? Because – you know, that, that decision becomes easier if the Big Ten has a divisionless structure where just the top two teams in the league play each other in the conference title game. Then we get our answer. Michigan loses two in a row to Ohio State. Or Ohio State loses two in a row to Michigan. We're obviously not going to take the team that just lost two in a row. But since they're not playing, since we're getting a Big Ten championship game that is obviously the best team in the Big Ten against a team that is obviously not the second best team in the Big Ten, should we take the number three or the number two in the East division that didn't play in the game um, that didn't even play for a conference title, even though CFP protocols dictate that conference titles have to weigh heavily in your decision-making process from that standpoint, the big 10 kind of has incentive to not change its championship structure to not change its divisional structure because I think there's a real possibility that the loser of the Ohio state Michigan game this weekend could get into the college football playoff above a one loss USC. I think there's a very real possibility. The committee could look at Michigan and say, that's a better team than USC an 11 and a one Michigan team or PAC 12 winning USC team. And there's a very real possibility that happens. That benefits the big 10, even with this sort of lopsided, divisional structure that they have. So the Big Ten announced a couple, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, it wasn't an announcement. It was uh, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic reported 
uh, that the Big Ten is not changing its structure for 2023. There were conversations to do so, and they ultimately decided they don't want to change something and then have to change something again whenever the new teams come in in 2024. But it sounds like we're going to get something different in 2024 when these new teams arrive. Brandon, you are in Kevin Warren's shoes. What would you do to sort of structure this new 16-team conference going forward? Yeah, it's <laughs> there's no there's no easy answer, you know, particularly as we move towards an expanded playoff in the future. Like I think the system now works really well for all the reasons that you you stated. Um and, and you know, and these circumstances are unique. Like it's kind of and they both kind of got scares a week ago. Um, but Ohio State and Michigan made it through. And for them both to get to this game at 11-0, I mean, it's the first time it's happened since 2006. And it does put the loser of, of that game in a great position to almost make it. And we see this happen with the SEC a lot, too. I mean, people were talking about it the moment Tennessee lost to Georgia and until it got absolutely smoked by South Carolina in a shocking result. Like, Tennessee was in a great spot to do it. Um as well to be kind of that that lurker who may not play for a conference championship, but you can't definitively say, well, they're not in the conversation for one of the four best teams. I think I'm still knowing that when we go to a 12 team playoff, you know, things are going to change on that front. Like I'm still, because I don't think there's a clear answer. I'm still in the maximum entertainment value for me because I'm very selfish um, <laughs> mode. I want non-permanent pods. And maybe it's because the World Cup is happening right now. I know we've talked about this before, but like I want pods. So four 14 pods, but they're not permanent pods. You're going to draw for them. You're going to do a World Cup draw every offseason based on where they finish. And be like, okay, you finish in the top four. You're the number one seed in, in one of the pods. You're gonna get a number two, a number three, and a number four, and we don't know. We're gonna we're literally gonna pull ping pong balls out of out of the hopper, and and that's how we're gonna do it. And until I know more about how the playoff system is gonna work and what gets you in and what leaves you out uh, in an expanded format, that's what I'm going with. So that would give you only three guaranteed games each year. You could reserve one for a rivalry game because you got to have Ohio State, Michigan. Like they can't not play, mm -hmm. um, even though they would most often be drawn into to different groups. And then you probably got to set up some sort of end of the season playoff structure. Well, it becomes a little bit like promotion relegation. So you've got the top finisher in each group in that final week. They got to play. And then you got to have a conference championship game, but you also got to have like the four teams in contention for the number three spot to play each other. So you'd have to have a little bit of flexibility. Um, it would borrow heavily from, from soccer, which seems to be the only idea that anyone has in terms of like totally disrupting college football, divisional structures, et cetera. But that's still where I'm at. I've never thought about non-permanent pods. Uh, and I love that idea while simultaneously thinking that that idea would kill 
like a Northwestern and a Rutgers. Well, has Rutgers ever been alive since? This is true. Arriving in the Big Ten. Northwestern is a different example, but. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no, they have not. They have not. To, no, to answer your question, they have not. No. So, I, you know, and, and, and at, you know, on the same token, like, I don't think the Big Ten is going to be like, hmm, how can we structure this to best benefit Rutgers? It's going to be like, how can we structure this to best benefit Michigan and Ohio State? <laughs> I don't care about Rutgers. How, how can we ensure as few trips as possible for Rutgers or UC, USC or UCLA literally all the way across the country? Um, that might be a more important consideration than what about Rutgers? Um, no disrespect to Scarlet Knights. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what happens from a scheduling standpoint with the LA trips because like, there have been – University of California Regents meetings and fact finding and lots of discussion to talk about the advantages and disadvantages of UCLA leaving. USC is private, so you don't have to worry about any of the, the political nonsense. But um, UCLA, like I don't think anybody expects UCLA's uh, entrance in the Big Ten to be derailed, but there's a lot of conversation about like the Pac 12 doesn't think they're going to make as much money as they think they will they being UCLA, UCLA disagrees. And some of these regents meetings have included sort of reports commissioned by regents. And, you know, you've got some data and some, um, you know, loose plans from UCLA to try to make this work includes chartered flights shared between USC and UCLA. What does that do from a scheduling standpoint? It includes them sort of kind of saying like, Hey, big 10, Let's do some like creative scheduling, some like midseason tournament type deals where we're having a bunch of games out here in LA at once. Um, you know, that obviously works for Olympic sports. That obviously works you know, a little bit better for basketball. Like you, it's hard to do a midseason tournament in football. Um, I, you know, but at how. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is how the, you know, that, that Los Angeles to New Jersey trip, which they're not going to make a ton, but Los Angeles to Happy Valley, those are long trips. How does the Big Ten sort of mitigate those? I think they're going to get creative in terms of trying to figure out how to best schedule this thing. And, you know, that, that could open the door for a type of scheduling model that, or a type of sort of conference structure alignment that we just haven't seen yet, which is, which is an exciting thought. Yeah. Which is why I argue for randomness, like literally yeah. pull ping pong balls because no matter how you try to set it up, um, people, you know, people didn't like leaders and legends you kind of look back at it and say, mm, maybe it would have been better, you know, particularly a year like this where the West was just like a jumble from the start. Well, I mean, Illinois kind of had its chance and, and lost it, but you know, you look at that West division and overall why the big 10 is down, you know, if you look at any of these conference power ratings, it's because it's like, well, it's business as usual in the East. You got 
Ohio State, Michigan, and then Penn State, which, by the way, is 9-2, and two, really good, has only lost to those two teams. And then the West is just like you throw up your arms, and it's like I guess Iowa's going to come out of there or maybe Purdue. <laughs> so, like, you can try and set it up and, and, and you know, do all the things that you make the best choices you think you can make. At the end of the day, uh, just draw them. Like, make it random. I, I know there's a lot of problems with this, but I'd be really interested to see somebody try it. I'd be really, really interested if it was the Big Ten, kind of our most, like, buttoned up and stayed conference there is, be the one to to kind of initiate it. Yeah, the Big Ten is definitely the I'm wearing the traditional suit uh, to the office. And uh, I'm, I'm judging all of the people that show up in the sort of, like, work-from-home um, jogger hybrid work pants. That's the Big yeah. Ten. Um, doesn't even, doesn't even have a doesn't even have a fun tie. It's just like navy blue, navy blue. Yep, yeah, navy blue. No pocket square. Nothing fun. Um, the other thing is like the the NBA is sort of the the shining example of why you shouldn't overreact to a couple years of, of lopsided divisions. Cause like everybody was like, we need to change the way the playoffs are done in the NBA. We need to, we need to redo conference structures in the NBA because the West is just so much better than the East. And now the East is better than the West and the East is deeper than the West. And it like, it just stuff, it just flips. Um, so, you know, all that to say, to bring it back around, Nebraska is going to beat Iowa this weekend and then it's going to hire, Luke Fickle or Dave Doran, they're going to win. You know, they're going to do a Kalen DeBoer. They're going to win 10 games in their first year. Then they're going to win the Big Ten in their second year. And then the balance of power in the Big Ten is going to shift to the Big Ten West, which will soon include USC on the West. And then Ohio State is going to fall apart. That's what's going to happen. You heard it here first. I I agree. I think what we got to, we got to kick Purdue to the East in that instance that's okay that's that that doesn't drastically change either but no (laughs) you're right like so much of this stuff is a reaction to like what's happening right now and it's so hard to plan for what's going to happen six seven eight years in the future that like doing something drastic is is well it comes with its own pitfalls yeah surely anything that we didn't hit on that you want to touch on before you wrap this up no, I don't. I don't think so. It's it's a bit weird to be here at the end of another, at least Nebraska football season. The whole thing kind of feels like a blur due to the strange circumstances. But uh, a new era begins soon enough, and there'll be plenty to talk about when when that happens. Yeah, I get the sense too that this season also went by super quickly, um, a little bit faster than than others. So yeah, like Brandon said, stuff is going to be happening. Make sure you're reading hillvarsity.com. Make sure you're listening to all of the podcasts on the Hale Varsity Network, like I said in the beginning. Uh, follow Brandon on Twitter as well. He doesn't tweet often, but they're all bangers when he does. Um, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Uh, Brandon, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was fun to catch up. Yeah, good to talk to you, Derek. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. Uh, shouts to all of you guys for listening to this episode every week. I hope you all enjoy your Thanksgiving and all of your your favorite Thanksgiving foods because I, I you know, I can, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that maybe you didn't completely disagree with our, or completely agree with our top fives. Um, so I hope all of your Thanksgiving foods, your favorite foods are excellent, not burned, not terrible. You can enjoy them. And I hope everybody just has a good Thanksgiving. This is a stressful time of year. So I hope you guys enjoy it. 
Uh, also, shouts to Cam for producing this episode every week. And uh, we will be back next week. Thanks, guys. Hoda Media Production.